0: or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996.
1: It's our custom to go around and introduce ourselves, uh, either by first name or first and last name. And since um, today's Father's Day, as an acknowledgement, if you would like to say something about being a father or about your father or anything in that vein of fatherhood.
2: um, I invite you to do that. It's a short comment. Uh, Uh,
1: My name is Ray
3: Dyer.
0: I'm Doug. I'm leaving today to take my
1: father's ashes to his hometown in Iowa.
2: My name is Mark, and my father was a good man. My name is Michael. Uh, My father died in 1996. His name
0: was Edmund. I'm George Hubbard. I appreciate my uh, brother's fatherhood. Uh, my name's Gary, and I miss my father.
4: My name's Cass, and I didn't know my father very well.
1: My name's Peter, and I'm grateful for all my dad's talking
2: My name is Bill. Happy Father's Day, Dad. My name is Marvin. Um, I am a father, and, um, and of course, I also have a
5: father who passed away two years ago and uh, I'm remembering him today. My name is Joe, and I'm
1: also thinking of my father today. He passed away about 10 years ago. <coughs>
2: Hello, my name is Carl. My father was a character, and lived, he died in 1984, so he him today. I'm Kane Matsuda. Uh, my father is still in very good health. plays tennis and golf all the time.
6: My name is Rich. I'm not a father and I'm not a father. <coughs> my name is Henry Rubinowitz.
2: My name is Jay. <coughs> i got to call my father this afternoon before I forget. <laughs> I'm Todd and I thank my father for my uh,
1: curiosity and inquisitiveness. <laughs> um, my name is Peter and uh, my father and I don't make good music together. <laughs> My name is Richard, and I'm going east
3: tomorrow to visit him. I don't get to see him very often. It's the only part I don't like about being on the West Coast. My name is Marty, and I talked to my father this morning. I never got along with him most of my life, but in the last <coughs> couple of years, the things have shifted, and I've been actually kind of helping him rediscover his Catholicism and his Irish heritage, and it's been very interesting. <coughs> my name is Ed, and uh, my father died uh, this year, three
5: days before. My name is Scott, and
1: I'm thinking today about how I'm terrible it is that I'm estranged from my father.
2: My name is David, and my dad is 95 years old, and um, he at least tries to make the most of each day, even when things are difficult. <coughs> I'm Peter. Uh, my name is Harley.
1: Music and
3: just love life. I'm Jack. My father's. And, and presence was actually Buddhist
6: equanimity. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I'm very grateful for the little I've learned of it. Uh, my name is Clint, and I grew up with a mother who stayed at home to care of the kids, and the father who supported us. And I took that totally for granted as a kid, but it amazes me now that he took out the responsibility of single-handedly supporting a wife and three kids, uh, when I have helped some support just myself. So I really honored him for his, his efforts and for his being of the integrity that he had taken out of his responsibility.
5: I'm Tomas. My father died when I was in high school and I've had a much better relationship with him since he's gone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm
0: Tom and um, I still wonder if my
5: father is gay. Uh, <laughs> My name is Jerry, uh, my dad's in the He's 81, and what amazes me is how much alike we are. It's almost eerie, we clear our throats the same way, we the <laughs> same way. I've been trying to escape
1: him for many years, and still coming back to mm-hmm. me. Uh,
2: my name's Paul, my dad's been dead for over <clears throat> 20 years, no, 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 15 no, 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 years. Um, as a kid I was frightened of him, and I've spent a lot of time healing on my part and been fairly successful and I prayed for. I, I thought about my contact with him during meditation. I'm Richard. Uh,
5: my dad's been gone for quite a long time. We had a lot of issues too. Uh, I've come to, I think, accept that he did the best he could.
2: My name is Roy. My dad has Parkinson's and he's unable to speak in any way. But I think I've been able to communicate more with him in this state than probably ever in my life.
1: My name is Jim. My name is Jim. Um, my dad's been dead for 22
2: years. He was a, a very great man, and it was a real trip being in his shadow. Mm-hmm. My name is Steve. My dad died. Um, 20 years ago, he was 72. And I didn't know him well when he was alive. Uh, I do now, and each year I get to know him better.
1: Uh, my name is Joe, and I um, feel like I've fathered a lot of generations of young artists, which has been a real joy for me. Uh,
2: my name is Roy. <coughs> <coughs> Right now what I'm thinking about my dad is when I came out to him, he uh, he said to me, you know, I always knew you were gay, son. He goes, uh, "He goes, you know, girls never really came around as much. You always had guy friends around. He goes, remember when we went shopping last week? And I said, yeah, I was gonna ask you then. You were? And I said, <laughs> he goes, yeah. And I go, how come you didn't? He goes, well, he goes, you know, I was kind of embarrassed and I wanted to give you your space, but you know, he told me he loved me, he gave me a kiss and a hug and that I'd always be, His great son. Thank you for this opportunity.
1: My name is Jim. My father's been dead over 30 years and uh, still struggling with um, forgiveness for his abandoning me and trying to understand what it is that he went through that
5: made life so hard for him.
1: A couple more.
5: I'm Dennis. my
1: father's been gone since '84, uh, 24 years now, and um,
2: there were a lot of issues, but I managed to um, forgive him and try to put myself in his shoes and be able to work things out that way. My name's Chris, and uh, for better or for worse, I really don't have a lot to say about my father.
0: I'm Tom, and my father was. Deeply religious, and in a very kind way. Thank
1: you. Well, our speaker today is a member of the Sangha, Tom Thurston, and Tom grew up in a small town in East Tennessee, and spent 15 years in a religious order of the Roman Catholic Church (coughs) called the Christian Brothers. His degrees are in theology. He taught high school religion for six years in the Midwest and then went to Manila in the Philippines to teach theology at the university run by the brothers there. He came to the Bay Area in 1982 to do doctoral studies at Graduate Theological Union in Berkeley, where he completed a Ph.D., (coughs) and wrote his dissertation on homosexuality and Roman Catholic sexual ethics. During this time, he came out of the closet and left the brothers. He remained an academic at heart. He saw how people who left the religion of their youth often put together a hodgepodge of incomplete ideas that ended up working no better for them than the religion they left behind. He thought he could make the whole process uncomplicated. To address this issue, he wrote a book called The Meaning of Life in Three Easy Steps. Currently, he was looking for an agent for his book.
0: Thank you. Um, I'd like to to start off, or to talk about a particular uh, part of the book, the the nature of happiness. But to do that, I'd like to start off with a a talk like uh, some members of the song have given. Uh, on how they came to the Dharma. I'd like to do a little twist on that, how I came to the Sangha. Uh, As I uh, said, I spent 15 years in a Roman Catholic religious order. In the order, there's basically two types of prayer, uh, active prayer and and mental prayer. Active prayer is the the Mass, the Divine Office, basically any prayer that is either recited or sung. And mental prayer is like meditation. I entered the Order in 1970. This was in the period of the renewal of the Catholic Church. And at that time, there was a lot of reaction against a lot of the structures in the Church. And we had, in in the Order, a very structured form of mental prayer. uh, And there was a strong reaction against that. I was not taught that method of mental prayer. I, I learned little bits about it. But people didn't like it because of its rigidity, uh, and they didn't know really what to teach us. We were kind of left on our own, um, so as whatever we happened to read, uh, whether it be uh, Teresa of Avila or uh, Thomas Merton, or whatever the fashionable retreat this month was. Um, the basic focus of the mental prayer was to develop a, a sense of inner silence, and also, uh, devotion it is very other-oriented in contrast to what i experienced in, in the meditation, meditation, it's the God out there. Um, some years later, I was in Oklahoma, where I was teaching high school, and was uh, involved with a group that was protesting and trying to prevent the building of a nuclear power plant. And my affinity group had a spiritual leader, Jay White Crow, Jay Whitecrow was a Cherokee medicine man, and he led the group in sweat lodges. So that was my introduction to Native American spirituality. Um, and that had a lot of good common sense uh, characteristics to me. I went from Oklahoma to the Philippines. In the Philippines, I had an academic interest in uh, folk Catholicism. Uh, folk Catholicism, however, didn't appeal to me personally. Uh, what did seem more spiritually serious, uh, there, there's a fairly significant Chinese population in the Philippines, and, and Chinese Buddhism um, did seem more uh, spiritually serious and promising. So when I came back to the United States, to Berkeley, to do doctoral studies, my intention was to do doctoral studies in an area called inter-religious dialogue. Um, and studied specifically uh, the Chinese Buddhist traditions. However, I ran afoul of language studies at the time. Uh, it was either past Chinese or past everything else. And I opted for everything else, uh, and ended up doing a degree in, in uh, Christian theology and with a dissertation on homosexuality and Roman Catholic sexual ethics. This was perhaps not the most brilliant career move, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so, after I uh, after uh, finishing the degree, not getting a te- teaching position at the Catholic University, uh, I in the dissertation I had criticisms of Catholic theology, and the criticisms became sharper and sharper, and found myself outside the Catholic Church, uh, and. Uh, Exploring, I, I went to MCC for a while when Jim Matulski was the pastor. Um, but when Jim left, the pastors uh, who replaced him were more evangelical. And, and this whole uh, Jesus is my imaginary friend thing didn, didn't work for me very well. <laughs> uh, in the meantime, I, I was, was teaching in a, a great books program uh, for adult undergraduates at St. Mary's College. And one of the books in the curriculum was a, an autobiography of Gandhi, uh, edited by Lewis Fisher. And Gandhi called himself a devotee of the truth. So he's picking up on the, the Bhakti tradition in Hinduism, but devoted to the truth. And that made a great deal of sense for me. And I said, well, yeah, that, that works for me. I was deeply influenced by Gandhi. I was a vegetarian for eight years, inspired by Gandhi. Um, and I, and I still think of myself as a devotee of the truth. Um, I never found a Hindu group that I plugged into. Um, during this period, I did also explore uh, neo-paganism. Uh, neo-paganism is is great fun. It's uh, it's Wicca, goddess worship, nature worship, um, I, and uh, it's very intuitive. I like that. Uh, the the groups that I was involved with considered it a revival of the ancient religions of northwestern Europe. Um, But there were those who said, oh, you know, we say it's a revival, but actually we made this all up, most of it since World War II. And that was a perfectly valid approach to neo-paganism, that it was all made up, it was all psychological, and you could have a psychological explanation for it. And that worked fine, and there was no... uh, Tension between the people who thought of it as a revival and people who thought of it as 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 psychological, um, I did however find the neo pagans kind of disorganized and kind of <laughs> 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 but, uh, actually this is the reason historically why or one of the reasons why uh, Christianity prevailed against paganism is because Christianity was hierarchical monarchical in structure, better organized uh, and able to uh, oppress the pagans. Uh, my ex-lover was Thai, and he inter- introduced me to the Vipassana tradition, and actually the two of us used to come here. Um, after we broke up, I, I didn't continue coming here. Um, the, I discontinued my practice. Uh, but looking back broadly in my spiritual explorations, um, I saw that there was something in common about the various uh, religious traditions and spiritual traditions. They all diagnose a a problem in the human condition, and they all offer a cure. Um, Humanity in general is miserable, but the adherents of my tradition are not. Fundamentally, what they all came down to was, don't worry, be happy. Uh, I I wish I had known this before I started my degree program. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, A a few of you may remember that uh, from uh, Bobby McFerrin's song. Uh, Probably most of you do, uh, and some of you no doubt remember this, that he got it from Mayur Baba. I have noticed that a lot of people who left the religion in their youth didn't leave the baggage of that tradition. Um, They make their whole spiritual quest a very complicated thing, and by allowing it to be complicated, they justify carrying around the baggage that they had. uh, Because, how could I possibly work through all of this? Um, Commonly, they're not helped by the would-be spiritual guides, uh, these are, are people that I, I call Merchants of Meaning. Um, the merchants of Meaning have a vested, vested interest in keeping the whole thing complicated um, so that they can make a living out of guiding people through the maze. Uh, in order to sustain a market for their product, they need to keep it far, fairly complex and just beyond the grasp of, of their minions. Uh, I didn't think the whole process should be that difficult so I wrote the book um, got about halfway through a draft of the first chapter when it occurred to me that I, I should do some research <laughs> uh, uh, the, uh, the people who wrote about it the, the research I did was in uh, a relatively new area called happiness studies the people who write on this tend to be uh, cognitive behavioral psychologists. Uh, Tom Moon, who spoke to this group a few weeks ago, is on the therapeutic side of that. Yeah, the same set of data, same methods. Uh, the therapists focus on fixing problems. The, the uh, people who write in happiness studies uh, tend to focus on well, what is right when things are going right. Uh, but it's, it's the same area. And as I read these, it occurred to me this sounds a lot like Buddhism. Um, so I thought, well, I should get involved with the Buddhist group again. And, and that's how I came to the Sangha. Um, the three steps, the three steps to uh, uh, the meaning of life uh, that I write about are relate to the three basic fundamental ways of viewing human experience. First of all, is direct. Um, uh, is emotion, direct, unmediated, uninterpreted experience. Uh, the second is interactive. The world acting upon me, my acting upon the world, my acting with other people. Uh, that's the level of ethics. The, uh, and the Buddhist term for my approach to that would be having compassion. The third is the level of uh, um, intention. Intention, action, evaluation, uh, meaning is found in on the level of uh, intention and interpretation. And the Buddha's uh, articulation of that would be the bodhisattva uh, act, so as to uh, save all beings from suffering. But the first step is, is don't worry, be happy. Um, In order to approach approach happiness, the first thing we need to do is stop worrying. Uh, When we experience stress, or threats, or danger, a part of our brain, which uh, the parts have long Latin names, but it's basically the reptilian brain, uh, tends to take over uh, at at threats. And it tends to override the parts of the brain that evolved later, the cerebral cortex, because thinking is far too slow says, so, you know, I've been doing this for 200 million years. I'm in charge. Often by the time the thinking brain takes over, the best that it can do is rationalize what it discovers that we've done here. Um, so what do we do about that? Well, we've had speakers that talk about mindfulness and talk about paying attention to when we're about to head down that dark path and, and intervening. Uh, Those speakers have spoken rather eloquently about that, so I'll just remind you of that rather than uh, talk about it. Um, Worry, I'd like to point out, is not a pathology. Stress is not a pathology. It is a sign, a sign that something negative is going on. Um, It's important to pay attention to the sign, to see what it's pointing to, and address the problem. it's also important not to let the worry take on a life of its own. Uh, negative emotions always tend to overreact. Over, they tend to oversignal because the downside of not noticing a danger is much greater than the downside of getting too strong a signal about a danger. But we can't let those signals take on a life of their own. Uh, happiness! Joy, pleasure, satisfaction. Um, These in contrast alert us to to something positive. If we want to have more happiness, we should pay attention to the things that trigger these signs, these signals. Um, Don't want to focus too much on the signal itself. If you're going to go to Healdsburg and you see a sign that says Healdsburg 29 miles, you don't get out of the car and rejoice at the sign. The sign is an indication that you're going in the right direction. Similarly, happiness is a signal that you're going in a good direction. It's a signal to something positive, some positive thing out there, something that's, that's good for us. Um, <clears throat> there's are um, at least four different types of happiness, um, and organized around four different neurotransmitters, chemicals in the brain that send messages. Um, the, the, the first I'd like to talk about is um, the neuro, neurotransmitter is dopamine. Dopamine is a signal of, of desire. Uh, it um, alerts us that there's something new out there and it makes that new thing attractive. Uh, it activates our other neurotransmitters the gateways for other neurotransmitters is now that we see something as desirable, we say, oh, what resources do I need to muster in order to get that desirable thing? Uh, Dopamine desire is indiscriminate. It could direct us towards finding a cure for AIDS. It could say, what I really need to do is buy the latest, biggest Lexus. Um, It could say that I need to climb the corporate ladder and crush everyone along the way. It could say that I need to set up um, a midnight basketball game for uh, high school dropouts. Um, Dopamine propels us towards what is new without any particular judgments of whether that new thing is actually going to be uh, worthwhile or good or not. Um, So clearly, dopamine needs some checks put on it. Um, Dopamine is involved with every form of chemical dependency. Dopamine is involved with our basis human behaviors. Uh, It's also involved with our most noble actions. Second is opioids. Dopamine focuses on the future. Opioids say, hey, there's something here in the present that's good. Pay attention to it. Opioid, as the name suggests, is a chemical in the brain that has the ability to act like opium. Opium uh, can block pain, block unhappiness, give us a, a dull sense of happiness. Um, opioid neuro- neurotransmitters alert us to something right here in the present that's good. Uh, usually it's related to a direct physical experience, um, you know, a nice steak. Uh, Uh, Omar Khayyam talked about a loaf of bread, a jug of wine, and thou. All three of those are, are, can set off opioids. Better if they're in combination. Uh, When we stop and smell the roses, opioids are activated. Of course, if dopamine didn't say, you have to get out here in the dead of winter, in the cold earth, And plant bare root roses so that your neighbor, your front yard can look better than your neighbor's front yard. (laughs) Then you wouldn't have roses. Um. Dopamine can be ruinously extravagant. A lot of the triggers of opioids are not particularly expensive. A nice piece of pie. Some of the opioid triggers are not only free, but directly wellness-enhancing, like a brisk walk in the park. Um, okay, well, uh, Opioids. Uh, pleasure. Primarily physical pleasure. Oxytocin. Oxytocin functions both, based, both as a um, neurotransmitter and a hormone. As a hormone, uh, one of its primary functions is uh, to contractions during labor. Um, As a a neurotransmitter, uh, it's it's most widely known as as functioning during sexual arousal. For women, uh, oxytocin levels rise throughout sexual arousal. In men, the the hormone that rises during sexual arousal, our neurotransmitter is is, uh, vasopressin, which is related to aggression. Only as we approach climax does vasopressin levels drop and oxytocin level rises and it stays high through uh, post covid uh, cuddling. It's been called the cuddle hormone. Oxytocin has the ability to um, increase the, the trust between human beings, to uh, lower our worries about the risk of develop, opening up to a relationship. Um, it promotes a general feeling of well-being. It um, it's not just involved with sexual encounters. Oxytocin is involved in any affectionate relationship, any time you engage in affectionate action. Um, dopamine drives us to discover the next big thing. Oxytocin weakens dopamine's uh, tendency to make us restless, to make us dissatisfied with the present situation. Oxytocin enhances our ability to focus on the current big thing. The fourth is serotonin. While dopamine, opioids, uh, oxytocin all tend to be situation specific, serotonin tends to be more generalized. It uh, focuses on our satisfaction, our general satisfaction with our life situation now. it has a tendency to or uh, uh, the ability to reduce our anxieties to make us appreciate our situation uh, we might think that because you know, it is the fourth in my uh, organization scheme in the fourth level related to the fourth level of happiness it is particularly characteristic of that part of the brain that evolved last the the, the developed cerebral cortex the, which is only in a few animals you know, apes including ourselves dolphins whales This is not the case. Um, Oxytocin is, uh, excuse me, serotonin, is produced at the end of the the spinal cord, one of those primitive areas of the brain. Um, Even mollusks have serotonin. I have no idea what the emotional life of of a clam is. Um, But apparently, while you uh, may not be as happy as a clam, you can be (laughs) happy like a clam. (laughs) Uh, <laughs> a, serotonin suppresses negative emotions um, and increases uh, sociability and cooperation. Um, it's not much so much related to pleasure as it is to general well being. Um, evolution. Um, evolution doesn't demand from us that, yeah. from its children, that uh, anything more than that they themselves have children and raise their children to the point where their children can have children. Evolution doesn't demand that we have a nice car. Evolution doesn't demand that we have a good job. But we have in our genes this history of of scarcity, and this history of competition. Remember, apes or chimpanzees, that their social status, is highly related to the pros- their prospect of reproducing. All well, those are our cousins. Um, so uh, our genes are high- hardwired towards making us think there's some bigger, better happiness out there that we don't have yet that we have to have. Um, but and this is the great joke that evolution is playing on us. Um, if we're able to enjoy family and friends in relative security, we basically have all the components that we need for happiness. Um, our brain should flood with serotonin fairly regularly. Um, is, this is the lesson that, that Dorothy learned in the Land of Oz. Is if I ever go searching for my heart's desire again, I know I don't need to look any further than my own backyard. Um, so, If you look at what serotonin or what dopamine has a strive for, there are basically two types of goods. One is um, a positional good, and the other is a non-positional good. Uh, Positional goods have a value, uh, or have the ability, at least in our imagination, to uh, increase our status relative to others. Um, They they tell me that I need to have not just a nice car, but I have to have uh, a bigger, faster, more expensive, newer car than you do. Uh, Positional goods uh, are all the new and wonderful things that we think will make us happy until we actually get them. Getting something new. The, the, the joy that uh, we, we get from getting something new lasts anywhere from a few seconds to about six months. Um, people who win the lotto are not substantially happier a year after they win the lotto than the other day before they won the lotto. And in general, people who have experienced a disabling injury are not significantly less happy a year after their disabling injury than they were the day before they were injured. Um, the lesson is that devoting our, all our energies to positional goods is probably not the best strategy for getting uh, s- uh, stable and enduring happiness. Non-positional goods are goods whose value to me are unrelated to how much of them you have such as friendships, close relationships. My having friendships does not diminish the value of your, your friendships to you, or, and your friendships don't threaten mine. Uh, things like uh, being healthy, satisfaction with helping other people, uh, making, making a better world. Um. Uh. So finally, I'd like to point out that these these four uh, types of happiness—desire you know, uh, striving, uh, pleasure, relationships, satisfaction—are not a hierarchy. Um, that a, a deficit in any one of them can crash the other three. So yeah, it's not one is is better than the other. You, in fact, if you want to have all four, it might be a good idea to put it on your calendar, so you specifically schedule time for relationships, time to do things that are enjoyable, as well as time to uh, advance and, 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 and strive and do, do excellent things. Um, uh, finally, and in every case, happiness is a signal. Um, as soon as the message comes across, the signal is no longer needed. So the signal goes away. This is why happiness and all forms of happiness are are transient. Once, If any happiness signal stayed around too long, then um, we'd focus too much on it, and we wouldn't move on to the next thing that we need to do that's good for us. Um, so, this uh, brings us back to how this sounds like Buddhism. It is, it's, 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 this is the, the fundamental transience of human experience. Um, so, yeah, any, any comments reactions, or reactions? Yeah. I was curious what your research involved. Um uh, The books I read mainly were on in-happiness studies, largely by by cognitive psychologists. Um, There there have been some interesting work on on ethics, and and they draw a lot from uh, animal behaviors, like uh, Vander Whale. But that's chapter two.
2: Um, so, of the four neurotransmitters you talked
0: about, or those four types of uh-huh. happiness we experience, uh, which category would be triggered by um, doing kind acts for others? You know, feeding the homeless and things like that that would make you feel good. Which one of those is that? You know? Well, you know, I, I would I would say that the uh, desire is you. Know, because yeah, I'm involved with, with, with my community and in redevelopment, and you want to achieve. and This achievement is achievement of this good for other people. This dopamine is indiscriminate. It can drive you towards achieving good things or drive you towards ruinous extravagance. But it also has the consequence of uh, bringing about general satisfaction. I, I think it would be both of those. Yeah.
6: Uh, in your research, going to people who research levels of consciousness, um, like Wilbur, for instance, uh, happiness on one level of consciousness might be buying a new car. Happiness on, on another, presumably higher level of consciousness, would be you know, going out and, and, and doing an act where the people benefit from it. And, and I mean, with some categorization some of, of, of the happiness, that the goals of the, the type of happiness
0: were a level of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I didn't find many people that talked about levels of consciousness.
6: Okay. I
0: was thinking like Tim Lover for instance. Uh, I, I, um, okay. it, I, did, I didn't read him. The people that I read didn't talk about levels of consciousness. What One of the things they did, did talk about was um, there's a wonderful book called um, Use Your Mind change your brain, and it's written by a woman who is a journalist of science about a group of scientists that work with the Dalai Lama and study brain patterns of people who were serious meditators. And negative emotions tend to be processed by your right prefrontal cortex, and positive emotions tend to be focused by our process by <coughs> the left prefrontal cortex. They found that uh, long-time meditators had a, a, an amazing ability to calm the right prefrontal cortex and activate their left prefrontal, prefrontal cortex at will through meditation. Uh, you know, to the point of uh, dominance of as much as 98 percent. Yeah, so I, I don't know if that's levels of consciousness or not. It is. It is uh, mental abilities.
3: To, to sort of follow up on that issue, I've wondered about some of the examples that you gave, uh, where it isn't the things that aren't relative. Uh, so the research that I, I one of, some of the research I've run across is that, uh, unfortunately. Our happiness, my happiness to personalize it, is heavily dependent upon comparisons to others. And it strikes me that even in things like health, like there's the, the old saying, I felt felt badly that I had no shoes until I saw a man that had no legs. Or uh, gee, I feel good, I have several friends. Well, my acquaintance over there has hundreds of friends. And I had good sex with one person, but my friend over there had sex with three trophy men. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the the, the piece that, that seems not, that doesn't seem like that to me, is compassion. And then the other one, which somebody talked about it at the other Buddhist group a while ago, um, is sympathetic joy, and pointing out the sympathetic joy is just not. It doesn't have to just be the selfless thing, Well, it's good for them, but it's also it gives us more opportunities to experience joy. So I, I wonder how those issues fit into. Yeah,
0: I mean, it's. Yeah, you know, I think it has to do with uh, skillful mental practices because, I, if I say, uh, that person has more friends than I do. Well, it's, I can take this as diminishing my status, but I don't have to, so it's, um, you know, how skillful am I? You know, it's being aware and saying, oh, look what I'm doing. I'm making this a status thing when it doesn't have to be.
3: I guess like, I was a little confused about that distinction, and I think in Lee's example, I mean, I think especially from a Buddhist perspective, there's lots of reframing, like, I don't really care about the three trophy men, and, you know, so I'm more likely to be content with my, you know, experience if I'm happy with it, but I guess it's hard for me to understand, like, is there anything that's truly positional in the modern world? I mean, if there's, you know, if there's only one deer that we can eat and I have it and you don't, I understand that but most stuff in the modern world is not, you know, it's not so finite that you know, I have this and, and others don't, I mean to me it seems like there's always framing and it's always
0: Yeah, it is and yeah, that's the, um, the point that, you know, our genetically we're, we're programmed to think this way to, to, to make everything positional, and that, from an evolutionary point of view, uh, almost everybody who is, um, if you want to talk about reproduction, uh, people are not excluded from the opportunity for reproducing because of, um, or very many at all, are. It's not like the chimpanzees, where the uh, the lower-ranking chimpanzees never have access to the females. Uh, people of all ranks be in our society so it's, that's um, that's not a danger nevertheless we continue to act as though uh, everything is positional and we tend to make a competition if we're not skillful we tend to make a competition out of everything
1: it. Yeah. in your experience as a uh, person with a lifelong spiritual calling do you um, make a distinction between the brain and the mind well,
0: I'm right. having had this this spiritual wandering I, um, it made me very you know, I, I like to use terms that I know what they mean mm-hmm. um, because I, I've hashed through a lot of stuff and, and And well, actually, uh, there's John Searle, the philosopher at Berkeley, kind of addresses the issue issue in a book that he calls "The Mind," and he says mind is um, brain and mind refer to two things from a different perspective. Uh, To use computer language, my uh, brain looks at it from a a components perspective, and mind looks at it as from a, a systems perspective. So, but they're actually referring to the same thing. I find that a helpful explanation
4: mm-hmm. yeah. oh. yes. <laughs> um, i was I was particularly intrigued to to be here today because this, I believe up something of your Catholic background uh-huh. and one of the things that has been of interest to me for quite a while is the um, you know um, Catholicism gets bashed, in a sense. Huh. And I think, I, I wrote a paper years and years ago, a short one, on the fact that you know people may bash America, but we know there are many saints that come out of America, so to speak, like Martin Luther King. There's a lot of good things about America, but when you look at the president, you know, he might not be happy about America and other countries and some of the things that it's done. I think the Catholic Church, in many ways, is the same way. We are the Church with seven sacraments. We look at the Church that has produced some enormously powerful saints. We have deep spirituality that comes out of the Benedictine mm-hmm. tradition and, and what have you. And it sort of saddens me that, um, that you know, Catholicism is so easy to to, to trash, or even Christianity, mm-hmm. for that sense. And clearly, there are just enormous, <coughs> there are no parallels to Christianity and Catholicism in terms of spirituality to Buddhism than anything else you know, than, than the negative point. So I was particularly interested in maybe hearing you say something uh, more qualitative than just you know sort of wholesale you know thrashing of the Roman Catholic Church, particularly in light of the fact that I I don't know what you would say percentage of gay men are who are priests, um, but obviously <laughs> they are they are genuinely getting something out of their vocations and out of the work that they do out of their spirituality out of their commitment out of their work. You know, talk about the Church of Faith, hope and charity, grateful and love. You know, God is everywhere. There's a lot of very powerful. Uh, components of Catholicism that has enriched people, and if you ever work with children you know how important it is to try to build structure so that they can learn some sense of commitment, some sense of faith, hope, and love. So I'm just wondering with with your Catholic background and understanding, you know, as as gay men, I mean, you know, who have been hurt by, you know, Catholicism, no less than, you know, the Halloween letter by... Person who's now
0: a pope, you know. So I, I think that we we we've got ourselves in a, in a, in a problem with just wholesale trashing uh, that, you know, Christianity and trashing the Catholic Church. Right. Yeah, and, and I think that it comes down, down to for those of us who have. Um, I no longer think of myself as an ex-Catholic because that defines just you as what you're not. Um, it's, it's a matter of, of compassion. Um, uh, Tony Morrison wrote in, in, in the Bluest Eye that um, love is no better than the, the person who loves. Love is no better than the lover. Um, and the, the, our, our experience of, uh, of the church or a particular people in the church, you know, these people who are these are people who are no more perfect than I am, and you know, therefore, their expressions and the way that they they live out their lives um, is no more brilliant than I do, um, and I, I should be should not judge them by a higher standard than I myself would like to be judged by. Um, they it. Religious institutions tend to be repositories of the wisdom of the ages, also to some extent repositories of the flaws of the ages. A lot of the things you'll find in the church um, you you wouldn't have found in the church of 2,000 years ago because you have this accumulated tradition. Um, And some of the... uh, I mean, there is the tradition of of uh, yeah, of love of labor and how do you work that out? It was the the church that ended the um, the gladiator fights that, uh, and and shut down the Colosseum, which was a horrid horrid place. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's, yeah you know, you look up, upon it with comp- compassion. I, I think you know, in terms of. Uh, the, the priests the gay priest. Uh, the one of the one of the things that I one of the images because the Catholic Church has the the crucifix which is the the, the cross with uh, Jesus affixed to it um, and Jesus always kind of buffed and not wearing very much um, <laughs> and I think that on a subliminal level you 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 have 2,000 years of boys that are getting inklings of their feelings in the church, looking at this cross. Uh, and I don't think that that's unrelated to the concentration of, uh, of gay men in religious orders and, and in the priesthood. Um, yeah, I think this is, this is the, uh, the legacy of Jesus to the beloved disciple.
1: Tom, um, we you be available for more questions sure. after we
0: need to yeah. move on. Do we have uh, a host today?
2: I am the host. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Bill. Uh, I'm your host today. Um, we, we've got some goodies out there that you can enjoy while you socialize. There's um, brownies, there's lemon cake, there's um, strawberries as well. Uh, there's also tea out there. And For those of you who don't know, if you do have some tea, wash out your cup before you leave. Uh, I'll be coming around with the hole and contributions are always welcome. And the suggested contribution is five to eight dollars. If anybody here is a, a newcomer, is anybody here for the first or second time? Okay. Well, um, there's a sign-up sheet if you haven't seen it already, uh, right out there. If you're interested in uh, receiving uh, our newsletter. Uh, as well as if you're interested in being on the directory that lists all the members that choose to list themselves. There's a sign-up sheet and you can put your information on the pink sign-up sheet out there. Uh, lastly, um, there's a, usually an informal gathering of uh, people who want to go out to lunch after the social time and you're all welcome to join. Usually they gather right by the front door um, around 12.30. Any other
5: announcements? Yeah, the have steering committee met last night at a dinner generously hosted by Tim Stewart. Excellent dinner, by the way. <laughs> uh, and I have a little report out on that. <clears throat> One is, uh, as we review the situation, attendance as witnessed today uh, is at record levels, very strong. Um, we're, and we should all gain some satisfaction in that. Uh, We are reaching out into the world through a newly renovated web page, and if any of you haven't viewed that, you should uh, make use of the resources there and recommend it to others. And finally, uh, we do live in a capitalist society, so we looked at income and expenses, and even sanghas have to be conscious of that, and they're in balance, so uh, things are looking good there. Of course, we do have an issue or two that I need to bring to your attention. (laughs) And the biggest issue uh, pressing on us right now is the publication of our newsletter. Uh, uh, Six times a year we put this newsletter out, Uh, it goes on the web page, so it's available worldwide, but uh, even more importantly it's a hard copy that we mail out to people that don't have that technology available to them. It's quite a production actually, Uh, we have a number of people uh, participating in it now, uh, Michael Landon as the editor, uh, Michael uh, Gabell as the, does, does the design and layout. We have transcribers of the uh, talks uh, that uh, we have here because often we take the transcription of the talk and include, include it in the um, handout, in the, in the newsletter. And uh, then we have mailing list people in the newsletter mailing party leader, uh, Jack Busby. All these people contribute to them, announcements come in to be put in here. Uh, We're noticing that we really need somebody to pull this all together in a timely way. Uh, So we're looking for a newsletter manager, a newsletter production manager. And in viewing the situation and looking at the crises that we've recently been through over the past couple of issues of this, the steering committee has determined that we really can't issue the next newsletter until we receive a volunteer. He will own the newsletter and manage its production. So I'll be in the outer room here during the social <laughs> hour looking for at least one man for that job. So please do consider it. Uh, there are many gifted people in the room here who could easily do this job. It's more a managerial job. You don't have to have technical skills to do this. We're not talking about an editing or a writing or formatting type thing. Once this person is selected, the steering committee would like to meet with the entire team that does the uh, newsletter so that we can make it streamline activities and knit the team together as effectively as possible. Now, beyond that, that is the main point of the news. But beyond that, Um, We do have the renovated website that I've just brought to your attention. Uh, But we also, and we have the webmaster, uh, Joe Kukulka. But uh, it is somewhat of a burden to be the, the webmaster and would very much benefit by having an assistant webmaster, people who could upload things or work with Joe and lower his workload. So the other uh, open position <laughs> is uh, assistant webmaster. So please contact me if you have web uh, skills uh, website skills and could work with Joe in any way that you would like to define. And finally the third I- I issue at hand are, is in the area of sound and recordings. Uh, George Hubbard has generously supplied his expertise over a long period of time, recording our talks, and then uh, um, George, you upload them too, I think, to the website. Yeah. And there's a great archive of past talks there. Uh, We need someone to assist George. Uh, A few weeks ago, we missed recording Jim Wilson's talk, uh, you know, a beloved speaker for, for the sangha here. Uh, so we, we want an assistant uh, uh, an assistant sound engineer or something like that. So any, uh, any of those three that you're interested in, please see me. But the first one, the, the, the uh, newsletter production manager, is an essential job that we have to get somebody doing uh, before we can issue the next newsletter. Thank you very much. I'm just curious, uh,
1: does anyone feel slightly interested in working on the newsletter? Show of hands if anybody might be interested in working on our next newsletter.
5: How about uh, uh, Yeah. This is a cooperative space. There's no organization behind it except for the people in the room here. We need the extended attendees, the new attendees, which we, you know, we value greatly, and we believe that you also value the association. That's why you're here. We need people to contribute to these efforts. How about uh, anyone interested in being
1: an assistant webmaster? Thank you. How about anyone being interested in assisting George with the recording? It would not be every week. Thank you, two people. Thank you, Paul and Tom.
5: Any other announcements? Yes, I have. I'm Jerry, I'm your speaker coordinator (coughs) for the next four months. And next week uh, we have a Dharma duo. And some of you people in Africa might be familiar with it. What we do is we have two people from the Saga who come and tell their stories. And next week we have Marty Dooley and Mark Tilley, who are going to be our director now. Any others? Yes. Um, my
4: name is Ed, and I am a community outreach person for the Osher Institute UCSF Staying Well Study. And the study, we're in the final phases of recruiting, is for HIV-positive people who are not on medication, and they'll be randomized into either a mindfulness-based stress reduction course or an HIV education course. So if either you or anyone you know um,
5: might qualify for that, please um, speak with me. I have some uh, cards uh, available here, uh, if you'd like any.
6: Yes. Uh, Yeah, um, not to eat the volunteer drum to death, but October, I forget which week it is, but October we're having a booth in the Castro Street Fair, and we have the booth, I mean it's all, it has to be assembled, we have the, the booth. Um, and we're going to need people to staff the booth. I mean, October seems like a, a long ways away, but probably it's going to come a lot quicker than we think. So I, I'm organizing that. We need people to staff the booth. It should be fun just hanging out and ogling the guys while I'm that downstairs. And also some <laughs> <sound> <laughs> don't go beyond hanging a picture on the wall. Uh, I would also appreciate if somebody would be willing to help me assemble the booth uh, in the beginning. Again, this October is no immediate thing, but I want to put the word out to the people. And if you're interested right now, you can get a hold of me, and uh, I'll pick your name and tell number. Yes? Uh, just a quick question.
4: If someone chooses to uh, to consider the man- manager position for the newsletter, who would they contact later on? Would they send an email to someone, or who would they contact just so folks will know if someone does choose to uh, assist in that?
1: Someone else can answer that. Mr. <laughs> well, let one of us know. Yeah. Okay. me, Marvin, Ray.
4: Is there what? an email address to someone that can email?
1: Um, does the steering committee have an email address? Um,
6: well, the, the, there's a directory. Yes,
1: the directory has the oh, yeah, addresses yeah, of yeah, every email addresses yeah. of
6: everybody on. To the there. to the
1: steering
4: committee is what you're saying. Yeah. Anyone.
1: There is some way of. Of oh, emailing from the website, so somebody listening, if they if they oh, wanted we'll to uh, participate, they could mm-hmm. do that. Yes? Mm-hmm. Any other announcements before we close? Okay, I right. believe Tom should lead us to the dedication
0: By the power and truth of this practice, may all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from this sacred happiness which is without sorrow. and May all live in equanimity, without too much attachment or too much aversion, and live believing in the equality of all that lives.